Welcome to Cookbook Club. We are home cooks from Portland, Oregon. Every month we choose a cookbook, we make lots of recipes from it, and then we get together to share some of the dishes we made. We talk about what worked, what didn't, and decide whether this is a cookbook we can't live without. I'm Sarah Gray. And I'm Renee Wilkinson. This week we're talking about Japanese Cookbook for Beginners by Azusa Oda. Azusa Oda is a home cook, blogger, and recipe developer. She's the product of a bicultural upbringing between Tokyo and San Francisco, and she uses that unique perspective to develop simple and delicious modern Japanese recipes, which she shared in her blog, The Humble Bean, and brought to print with Japanese Cookbook for Beginners, which was published in 2020. Remind me how we came across this cookbook. I think it was recommended by our friend Eliz. From Cookbook Club. From Cookbook Club. Um, I'm not exactly sure how she came across it, but she mentioned it and I looked it up and I was like, oh, I want this. It has been awesome. This book is really unusual, though. And one of our Cookbook Club members, when we did it for Cookbook Club, was really surprised when she went to the library to pick it up from her holds list. And she was like, I wasn't expecting this. It's a very small book. And it's very, very simple. It has no photos in it. Gasp. I know. There's a photo on the front, uh-huh. but otherwise there are no photos. And I know sometimes that can be like a turnoff for people. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm sure it was a cost cutting measure, but I think it's very well written. It's very like efficiently written. And I think it's awesome. I think that ties in nicely with the concept of the book, which is that the recipes are very like straightforward, accessible, approachable, like no frills, right. you know, and the cookbook. Definitely no physi- frills. The cookbook in physical form is like that as well. She's got several sections. So she's got like staples, snacks and salads, vegetarian dishes, rice and noodles, seafood and meat and poultry. She's got like a key throughout. She notes when things are gluten free, when things are nut free, when things are one pot, when things are vegan, when things are freezer friendly. And so I feel like that key can help you to like make a decision quickly. 30 minutes or less is one of the things that she will like tag them with. It's almost like there's a list of tags at the top of every recipe, which is kind of great. I've made a ton of recipes from this book. I know. I can't wait to hear about it. I've made a few recipes from it, but I think that you have made not every recipe in the book, but most. You know what's funny is that I love this book, and I think Eliz, who introduced me to it, loves this book, but not everyone in our cookbook club really connected with it, so Uh I don't know if it's like a personal preference thing. Obviously, it probably is, but it really connected with me. It connected with me in the same way that Andrea Wen's Vietnamese Food Any Day connected with me, which is like teach me how to make food from this cuisine that I like as a white North American person that I am not familiar with. I did not grow up eating. Teach me a little so that I can like bring this cuisine into my home. Basically, Mm -hmm. I think while Andrea Wen's book is a little bit more commercial, like it has glossy pictures in it. And it's very like, it's a very beautiful book. This one is not so beautiful, but it's like, even though it's Spartan, I think it's really like gold. It's got like lots of great information in it. My theory on why it may not have been a huge hit with our cookbook club, like universally a huge hit, like there's people who love it. And then there are people who are like, I don't know, I didn't think it was that great. I think it's because the recipes are really simple. Yeah. But together, they're greater than the sum of its parts. Totally. So when you share a meal and people brought one really simple thing, but added it and you have all of these wonderful things with flavors that really complement one another. I think that's the genius of the book. Right. Definitely. And most of the time that I've made things from this book for a meal, I have made a couple of things, like Mm -hmm. a few different components, which is easy to do when the recipes are so simple. I love that. So why don't you start with the beginning of the book? I know that you made the basic dashi, the vegan dashi and the Mm -hmm. miso soup. What is dashi? 
Dashi is just like sort of a foundational Japanese ingredient. It's just a broth. There are lots of different kinds of dashi. So her basic dashi calls for kombu, filtered water, and bonito flake. What is kombu? Kombu is like seaweed. Mm-hmm. It's dried seaweed. So it's fish. It's like a fish-based broth. The vegan dashi, just called for dried shiitake mushrooms and kombu. Mm. Um, so it's a very, very simple stock, essentially. And then you can use that as a base to make all kinds of things. So the miso soup calls for dashi. The clear mushroom soup calls for dashi. So there are like some soups throughout that would call for that. You know, there's a dashi soy sauce. Uh-huh. Definitely something you can like use as a foundational ingredient to then like build flavor. And I thought it was great. It was super easy to make. That sounds delicious. One of the more unusual recipes from the snack section that I really liked is a coconut, almond, and matcha granola. Ooh. It's super unusual. It's granola, but and it does have oats in it, but almost half and half it's oats and then puffed rice cereal. So it's a very light texture. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not as heavy and clustery as many granolas are. And it has like culinary grade matcha powder in it. Mm-hmm. Which makes it green. Oh, interesting. Um, But I thought it was really, really good. It also has slivered almonds in it. Mm -hmm. And it calls for white chocolate and coconut oil. Oh. So it's like certainly not a health food, but it was, I thought it was really unusual and really good. I don't think it's unhealthy though. No, I mean, the white chocolate is like, a little bit decadent. Whatever. Yeah. Yeah. So the coconut in it is just the coconut oil? No, it also calls for shredded coconut. Although I use coconut flakes because I have five pounds of them and I want to like buy more coconut, which was good. And I thought it gave it some like good texture. It's very coconutty. It's got like the crunch of the almonds. It's got the like the green tea flavor of the matcha. Mm-hmm. And then that puffed rice, which is really lightweight. Mm-hmm. I thought it was delicious. Like I couldn't stop snacking on it. That's cool. And when I first saw the recipe, I was like, I don't know about that, but it's really good. That one definitely caught my eye. And I have made granola with just puffed rice before for okay. my kid who has oh, a protein yeah. restricted diet. So if any of our listeners have PKU and they are grownups, this would be a great recipe if you just made it with only right, puffed rice leave out the oats. and then leave out the almonds but yeah. like adding the coconut and using coconut oil and the matcha will add like some really great grown-up flavors yeah. to a really easy breakfast yeah for sure i thought it was really good and like paired with vanilla yogurt was mm-hmm. very very good yum i also like the easy cucumber pickles so one of my go-to meals from this book is what's pictured on the front which is miso marinated salmon it's sitting on a bed of what looks like probably brown rice, but it might be white rice, like sprinkled with furikake. Mm-hmm. And then there's the easy cucumber pickles on the side, which are like dead easy to make. And then steam or boil some edamame. Mm-hmm. And that's like a great meal. And every time I look at the front of this cookbook, I'm like, yeah, that's what I want to eat for dinner. Yeah. It's like very clean flavors. It's very simple. It's going to make you feel really good when you eat it. I'm so into it. So I haven't made a ton of recipes from this cookbook, but I have also made that same meal. Yeah. Because it is so easy to come together. Yeah. And the miso marinated salmon is like just enough flavor. I thought it was actually like pretty mild. Yeah. Still. It is. But if you're getting a little bit bored with just like, you know, salmon and salt. Right. <laughs> then right. Maybe this is which a good step up. Which she does have a salted salmon as well, which I think is really great. But it is very basic. But all of the salmon recipes that... I I've looked at and that I've tried have been like super easy. And that is plenty of time for you to make a very easy cucumber pickle side dish. Yeah. We had ours with coconut rice. You know, I just like adding a little bit of extra fat um, and creaminess. So that makes a great meal, too. 
So good. So tell me about the salted salmon. Yeah, the salted salmon is really interesting. So she has you cut your salmon into like small pieces, basically, not like chunks, but like a, it's almost like a strip of a fillet, uh-huh. like one inch sections. Okay. And then you salt it generously and then you let it sit like overnight. And the salt basically does that thing where it like makes sort of almost a crust Mm -hmm. because it soaks into the salmon. And then when you cook it, it gets like really firm, but it's still like really tender. It does a really nice thing to the flavor. And then she recommends that you put lemon juice on it when you serve it. It's super simple. It was not too salty then having that much salt on it. No, it's not too salt. I mean, you're not like packing it in salt, like Mm -hmm. you're not curing it, but um, you're definitely like heavily sprinkling it with salt. It's so good. And you know, I mean, I get my salmon from from like a local fisherman who like fishes in Alaska and brings back the salmon. It's like sushi grade salmon. It's so good mm-hmm. that I feel like sometimes some salmon recipes are like adding so much to the fish that it's totally overpowering the like really amazing flavor of the fish. So that's why I like the recipes in here because they're very subtle and they really let the natural flavor of the salmon shine through. I'm going to make a very bougie comment. Do it. I feel like if you're buying salmon from like Safeway, Fred Meyers, right. Kroger, whatever, it's not going to have a lot of great flavor. Yeah, probably not. Like maybe if you bought the wild salmon, it would have a little bit more flavor. But I think farmed salmon doesn't have a lot of flavor. And so those recipes that have like a bunch of mustard and like things that are going on are designed to amplify some flavor because the salmon alone doesn't. But if you're buying wild salmon that's caught, you know, by some person who's not like a gigantic Walmart, then that salmon's probably going to have more natural flavor. And so you right. don't want to like laden in it with a bunch of heavy stuff. And we do that sometimes, you know, like I'm thinking of that amazing salmon recipe from Nothing Fancy by Allison Roman, which has like cooked onions and raw onions. And like it kind of tastes like a lox bagel. Uh-huh. It's so good. But like that is like a real iron fist, you know? Yeah. Like, I you wouldn't... don't need it with this kind of salmon. And I mean, I have, we, I have like tons of privilege to be able to like go of and course. support like a, a small course. fisherman like that. So I get that not everyone is in that position. But right. I also think that most people could probably eat less meat and seafood and instead like direct those dollars towards more sustainable meat and yeah. seafood. Yeah. So that's my soapbox for yep. this episode, folks. Thank you for not <laughs> hating me. <laughs> oh. The salmon recipes sound amazing. What about the vegetable recipes? Yeah. So I really like there's a green salad with a sesame miso dressing. Ooh. Again, very simple. Uh-huh. It kind of reminds me of there's this like really great place we go for like these bento boxes and they have like a really lovely salad with just like a punchy vinaigrette on it. And uh-huh. it's just so good. Like it's just so basic. But like once you combine it with other elements, it's like a really great, like well-rounded meal. I love that miso is just like a superpower ingredient. Yeah, it's so good. There's also a stir fried broccoli with garlic, which could not be simpler. I mean, it's literally just stir fried broccoli and garlic. Well, like what's special about that? Do you need a recipe for that? Not really, but I think it's just her method to take you through. And so she like thinly slices the garlic cloves and you add some soy sauce and a pinch of bonito flakes and just like the way you do it. Yeah, I feel like was helpful. What I love about this cookbook is that it is a collection of easy, simple recipes across the board. A lot of cookbooks will try to give you a balance of all of those things in one cookbook. They have some recipes that are really easy and some that are really ambitious. And so you can kind of like choose your own adventure. 
But what I like about this cookbook and why I think I would pick it up more is because I know what I'm getting in yeah, every recipe. It's very true. And then it's sort of like a gentle nudge of like, okay, well, you were planning your meal tonight around salmon because you wanted to use right. it up or chicken or whatever. But also like, just so you know, here's two other simple things that you could also get on the table. Right. But I wouldn't think on my own about adding bonito flakes and sesame oil or whatever, you know, right. from that broccoli recipe. Yeah. Because I criticize other very easy cookbooks like It's All Easy from right. Gwyneth Paltrow, which was not a huge hit for me because I was like, well, should these even be recipes? Like, right. But I don't feel that way about this book, I guess, because it's giving me things that I wouldn't think to pull out of my cupboard or even put in my cupboard to begin with right. to then right. use in a future meal. Right. So it's giving me new ideas. Well, and I wonder also, like for me... When I want a super easy recipe, my mind does not often go to foods from like other cultures Mm -hmm. where it's all easy is like, I don't need a recipe for a granola parfait or avocado toast. Right. But in my mind, I'm never going to be like, oh, I should make a miso marinated salmon Uh as an easy meal because of my own like ethnocentric view of like, you know, growing up as like a white American in the Pacific Northwest. Mm -hmm. So I feel like it's just helpful to have it like, hey, here's some ideas like from Japanese cooking that would just be different. I love that. Another one of those recipes that fits into that category of being really simple, but I would not have thought of that on my own, is her furikake popcorn. Oh, yeah. Which I made one night when we were going to watch a movie with uh, my partner and I, and it was like really fun. I think I wasn't very well prepared for that recipe. Yeah. If I were to make it again, the thing that I didn't have is olive oil cooking spray. Oh, right. Because that helps it stick to the popcorn. Yeah. Instead of sinking to the mm -hmm. bottom. Yeah. So I ended up this is like was not a delicious choice, but it wasn't terrible. <laughs> I ended up just using regular cooking spray. Okay. Like I tried doing it without it. Too much of the furikake seasoning ended up at the bottom. So I was yeah. like, oh, crap. So I went upstairs. I like sprayed some lightly canola spray on it and then tossed the whole thing. And it did help it cling a little bit more. Yeah. But I think just get ready to waste a lot of furikake seasoning, which right. is not like, you right. know, you can always buy more. Sure. It's sure. not obscenely wasteful. Yeah. But that my, was a, that was a good combo. My loves furikake seasoning. It's good. It's really good. It's just like such a flavor bomb. Mm-hmm. Two salads that I really liked. One is the potluck ready crunchy cabbage salad. Oh yeah, this thing was meant for a potluck. First of all, it makes an absolutely obscene amount of this. Like it serves 20 or something. Oh my gosh. Um, It's really, really good. It's got a dressing on it that's like sweet and savory at the same time. Ooh. And it's crunchy. It's really, really great. I highly recommend that. And it's simple. It's very simple. Does it have to like sit for a while or? You it doesn't have to, but I think it can because it's cabbage. So mm-hmm. it's not going to like wilt on you. And the other one that I really love is a sweet and tangy tuna and carrot salad. Ooh. So my big takeaway from this recipe is that she has you cut the carrots in an unusual way that I've not seen before. And it ends up so beautiful. So you cut the carrots like on an angle. So they're like in a long, you know, like angle cut coin. Mm -hmm. And then you julienne them. Oh. Which I know sounds like a little fussy. Yeah. But they they turn into these like little spears, like these little angle spears. Mm-hmm. And they're so pretty. And then like you mix it with like the vinaigrette and the tuna and it's like savory and delicious. And the carrots are just like the perfect shape. I really love that salad. If I were making that, I would probably just use my box grater. You could do that too. But I thought they were very pretty. And it uses canned tuna. Yeah. Cool. Or if you have a Trader Joe's near you, have you used the little pouches of tuna? No. Oh, I love those. Okay. Just like for anyone listening who's going backpacking or camping. Oh, good call. It's so great for that. Yeah. Yummy. 
I have made the buttery sweet potatoes. How were those? They were good. I did not use a Japanese sweet potato, so I don't feel like I can give you an honest recounting of how the recipe is. But, you know, it's a lot of the flavors in this book are very like light. Mm -hmm. But this is one of those recipes that is a little on the heavier side. It's like buttery and rich Mm -hmm. and delicious. I just used like a orange yam Mm -hmm. for it and they were delicious. But I think those Japanese sweet potatoes have a, a slightly different flavor. So it would be like a different flavor profile that would probably honestly go better with the other dishes in this book. But that was just what I had. Japanese sweet potatoes are also drier. I think they are. Yeah. Yeah. So it could like be a good pairing with the creamy butteriness. Exactly. Tell me about that super simple ramen recipe because that one also caught my eye, but I didn't make it. And I want to hear how it turned out for you. It was good. It is super simple. So that recipe I was talking about when we did the instant pot roundup, that is a beef pho Mm -hmm. and it like rivals a restaurant pho. Mm Mm-hmm. This is not that. Like, this is not <laughs> going to rival a restaurant ramen, but it was very satisfying. It was very delicious, but it is super simple. Okay. So if you want a homemade ramen that's good, but like don't set the bar so high for yourself, Mm -hmm. I think this is a great one. This is a good like entry ramen. Yeah, exactly. We also love ramen in our house. So like, I feel like we're a little bit snobby about it. Do you make ramen regularly? No, I don't make it regularly, but my kids like to go out and get ramen. Like that's a fun thing for them. And it's just like so good at a ramen place. Yeah, that's all I want to eat right now. That's the perfect January food. It's just like so gloomy and yeah just like all the ramen all the pho yeah just warm liquids please yeah totally let's take a quick break and then when we come back i have one more recipe i'm super excited to talk about and i know that you have a couple more too yeah drop cloth samplers is a line of hand-drawn embroidery samplers printed and ready for you to jump in and start stitching right away Each pattern is hand-drawn by Rebecca Rehnquist in her Portland, Oregon studio and printed for you to embroider with your own color and thread choices, like coloring book pages, but for embroidery. And with Rebecca's custom classes on Creative Bug, she's with you every step of the way. You can find Dropcloth samplers on Instagram at dropcloth or online at dropclothsamplers.com. Renee, tell me about the recipe that you're super pumped about. We loved the slow cooker soyu chicken recipe from this book. I made a couple changes, but make the recipe as is and it's going to turn out great too. What's great about this recipe is that it uses bone-in skin-on chicken thighs. So in my case, because of the meat CSA, I have a lot of, I don't get like chicken pieces, I get whole chickens. Right. So that's one of the changes that I made is I just cut up a whole chicken. Okay. I cut the back out of it because after my Thanksgiving this year, we're I ended up like harvesting a 38 pound turkey for Thanksgiving (laughs) (laughs) and a 38 pound turkey will not fit on one thing. A roasting pan. right? So Melissa from Cookbook Club came over and she brought her poultry shears and we cut the back out of the turkey so that we could spatchcock it. But then that wouldn't fit obviously on (laughs) one thing either. So then we had to like use the poultry shears to cut the other side of So we ended up with like two halves and it almost reminded me of like a pork roast, you know, like when you go see like a whole pork get roasted. Right. That's how our Thanksgiving was. And it turned out delicious, FYI. So now I'm totally like into using poultry shears to cut up chickens. Did you get a pair? I didn't. Okay. It's on my wish list. Yeah. But nobody got it for me for the holidays. I would like some too, but I'm a little bit terrified. I'm going to like take a finger off. No, they're so easy to use. You're not going to accidentally take your finger off. I mean, they're long and they kind of curve a little bit even. So your hands are way far back. Okay. And I mean, just 
just like keep your hands together. Don't put sure. your other hand down by the snippy part. Sure. But I just used my like kitchen shears that were not poultry yeah. shears. So I cut the back out of the chicken and then I just used that, those shears to cut up the whole chicken, which I've started doing that too. It's so much easier it's than a so knife. Easier. Yeah. Probably people listening are like, duh. Yeah. But there might be some of you guys who are like, <laughs> I haven't figured oh, that out yet. I didn't think about that. Use the scissors. Use the scissors. So I cut up the chicken. I used my instant pot, which has a slow cooker function. Okay. So I used it on the slow cooker function for this recipe. The other change that I made is the basic recipe is a combination of sugar, tomato sauce, soy sauce. There's like a little splash of rice vinegar and some dry mustard ginger. Ooh, that sounds like really nice seasoning. Yeah. I mean, that combination is going to be great. It's with gonna, the tomato in there. Mm-hmm. Oh, man. It's going to be like a real big hit with kids. Yeah. But it's also like fine for grownups, too. It's delicious. Yeah. The sub that I made is that I didn't have tomato sauce. Okay. Like I only can whole tomatoes this last year from my garden. And so I just haven't like ripped the Band-Aid off to go buy tomatoes from the grocery store yet. Right. So I didn't have tomato sauce. So instead, I used ketchup. Okay. It turned out fine. I'm sure it did. I mean, don't tell anybody, but I that's mean, what I did. I mean, it gives you like a little extra punch of like that vinegar. Yeah. It did feel a little bit weird, to be honest, to put sugar into something that was like a chicken dish. Yeah. But I mean, that happens. Yeah. You know, totally. sometimes it's just like you're putting it in in a different form instead of maybe just plain sugar. But it was so easy to make. This was one of those days where I had just taken the pastured chicken out and put it in my fridge overnight for actually a couple nights to slowly thaw it. And I was like, like, man, I got to do something with that chicken, but I have like no plan. Right. And then I picked up this book because I knew what I was going to get. And sure enough, there was a very easy recipe. It turned out great. We served it over coconut rice because apparently that's like our listeners are going to think that's the only <laughs> way we ever eat rice. But just to be honest, it's like 90 percent of the time. <laughs> you should try it if you and haven't. It is. And it's great. Just like half water, half coconut milk. Turns out great. Had it with the easy cucumber pickles. It yeah. was like total hit. Oh Loved my gosh, it. Yum. What are some of the other ones that you've made? I really like this sweet and savory chicken and egg bowl. So it's sort of like a complete meal because it's a bowl. Okay. It has like rice and it has chicken. It doesn't have any vegetables, but so it's like kind of like a chicken and rice kind of thing. It's like almost a whole meal. It's almost a whole meal. Just do the cucumber pickles on the side and you're in business. Yeah. Basically, oyako means like parent and child. And so it's got the chicken and the egg in it. Nice. Which I think is really interesting. And it has like this sauce and then like this egg that you cook almost all the way that like kind of runs into the rice. Ooh. It's very good. And again, it's extremely simple. That sounds delicious. Like a yeah. runny egg with rice mm-hmm. is with like, rice. oh, it's going to win kind every of time. cooked together, which is really, really good. Yum. And then another one that I really like that I did not expect at all coming to like a Japanese cookbook is something she calls a hamburger steak, uh-huh. which is essentially just a hamburger. <laughs> It's like a hamburger patty that you Uh eat without a bun, but it's really, really good. You put like ponzu sauce in it. It's got onion in it and panko breadcrumbs, some milk, beef. It has some nutmeg in it and some sake. Oh, cool. That sounds like an interesting combination. It's really good. Like it was really basic. Is ponzu a citrus? Yeah, it's a citrus soy sauce, basically. And she has a recipe in the book for making your own ponzu. Okay. God, that sounds so good right now. It's really good. It's like kind of like got this like light flavor, but it's like ground beef with Mm -hmm. milk in it. So it's like, you know, it is definitely like a big old hunk of beef, but the flavors are really good. When you serve it, you serve it topped with grated daikon and more fat ponzu and shiso leaves if you want. And so it's like really nice. Then you just like put some rice on the side. 
go with the easy cucumber pickle again. Like some edamame. I mean, she recommends like you can serve it with steamed broccoli or a sesame dip or a Japanese potato salad. It was delicious. That sounds great. I'll totally make that again. That sounds lovely. That was like so many recipes. I know. That we just went through. But the common thread is that they're all very, very easy and accessible and approachable. It does, I think, require you to pick up a few specialty ingredients. Yes, that's definitely true. I don't think they're things you have to go necessarily to an Asian supermarket for. No, you just have to take a little extra time in the ethnic food aisle of your grocery store. Exactly. So who do you think this book is a good fit for then? I think it would be a good fit for a lot of people, although the people I recommended it to didn't like it very much. But perhaps because they didn't know what to expect. Sure, that's probably true. And because, you know, it's not full of photography. It's not like a beautiful, immersive cookbook experience. Although I think it's a nice looking book. I think it's a quiet workhorse. Yeah, for sure. If you are somebody who is a cook but is interested in Japanese cooking, Mm -hmm. this would be a great place to start. I think if you are somebody who's just getting into cooking and likes Japanese food, this would be a great place to start, too, because it's simple enough that just about anybody could put these together. Mm -hmm. So you don't have to be an experienced cook. Are there a lot of vegetarian mains in this book? In vegetarian dishes, yeah, they've got spinach dressed with tofu, spinach dressed with walnuts, cold tofu three ways, green beans with sesame. Those feel a little bit more like side dishes to me. Mm -hmm. And not like vegetarian mains. Mm -hmm. But you probably could combine a few things Mm -hmm. to make a great vegetarian meal. Okay. Um, And the fact that she gives you a a variation to make a vegan dashi if you don't want to put the fish into it. Mm -hmm. I think you've got options. Okay. Mm -hmm. Cool. I wouldn't say it's off limits for vegetarians. It might not be like a destination for you if you're a vegetarian. I can see how this book does have like a few different niche audiences. Sometimes I feel like the people who buy a lot of cookbooks aren't necessarily the people who cook a lot. Yeah. So I think this cookbook is going to surprise those people because it's not going to give them what they want, which is an experience in looking at the cookbook. Yeah. Interesting. You know, like it's not immersive. It's not beautiful photography. Right. But if you're somebody who's a great cook or an advanced cook or a beginner cook who just has any interest in Japanese cooking, Mm -hmm. high to low skill wise, this is going to be a good cookbook for you. Yeah. I think even people who are advanced cooks who are interested in Japanese Japanese cooking would still appreciate just being able to pull something off the shelf and having it be easy, you know, and accessible because those people have busy schedules too and like need to throw dinner on the table in 30 minutes. In addition, and then they can have other cookbooks where it takes them like five hours to make a a Japanese feast. Right. But yeah, I think this this cookbook, if you go into it knowing that it's just going to be like a workhorse cookbook, you're going to not be disappointed. Totally. It makes me think of in one of Julie Tertian's uh, email newsletters, she was talking about a recipe that she likes from her book, Simply Julia, that she feels like gets passed over a lot in the book. And the reason it gets passed over is because it doesn't have a photograph with it. And um, she talked a little bit about like, you know, how much it costs to put a photograph into a cookbook and how it's usually not like very doable to put a picture of every single recipe in. But sometimes if people can't visualize it, then they don't want to make it. Uh And so I wonder if that might be a hang up with this book. But I would encourage you to try to get past that block because I think the food is really delicious. Yeah, the content is there. And so often I feel like it's the opposite where like the photography is beautiful and it's immersive and like the content is not there. Like you make the recipe and you're like, well, first of all, the recipe doesn't look like the (laughs) picture. It doesn't look like the picture. (laughs) So frustrating when they do that. Second of all, it doesn't taste very good or like it was too wordy or the steps were not like efficient. Right. So, yeah, I think this is a good book for all of those reasons. Yeah. 
So for the big question, does this cookbook deserve a spot on your cookbook shelf? Yes. A resounding yes. What about you? I wasn't even sure if I'd be able to ask the question and like finish asking it before you said yes. I love it. It's probably like one of my top five favorite cookbooks. That's great. That's Which, great. don't ask me what the other four are because that's like a really hard game to play. But <laughs> maybe top 10. I'll okay. say it's in the top 10. I do also like that this book is has like high, low budgets too for the meals. Like most of these I think are not expensive right. recipes to make. The only thing are like the salmon recipes. Can right. you afford salmon? Yeah. You know, it's just more expensive. But I mean, that's like not most of the recipes. Right. Most of the recipes have like low barrier to entry. Totally. I think this book does deserve a spot on my cookbook shelf. And I'll be honest that I don't have this. I don't own this cookbook yet. I've just been borrowing it from the library for the last few months and quietly renewing it every month. <laughs> but I would like to buy this cookbook because I think there is so much value in knowing that I can pick up something that I know is going to be easy and accessible and like not and overly complicated. Yes. Yeah. And delicious. Yeah. We hope that you guys will join us next time when we'll be cooking from Ama, a modern Tex-Mex kitchen by Joseph Centeno and Betty Halleck. Sarah, why did we pick this book? Because it's yummy. <laughs> <laughs> it's beautiful. I know it's a, that. It's a really beautiful book. I know that it was introduced to us from our friend Betsy in our cookbook club who saw the vibrant colors of it and was like, I got to have that book. And then Chelsea from Cookbook Club is from Texas. And, yeah. and she's often remarked on how there's like an absence of great Tex-Mex food yeah. out here in the Pacific Northwest. Totally. I mean, there are exceptions, but generally speaking. Yeah. It's gorgeous. It is a restaurant cookbook. So and so sometimes those have limitations. We'll find out. We'll be very interested to talk about it. And cook along with us between now and then. Just tag us on Instagram at Cookbook Club Show or send us a voice memo or a comment at cookbookclubshow at gmail.com. You can find us online at cookbookclub.show. And remember to subscribe to our podcast so you don't miss the next one. And if you have time to leave us a review, that really helps other home cooks find us too. It also makes us do a happy dance. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it does. We'll see you next time. Bye.